My name is Mariana Simnet. I'm showing an exhibition called Seizure at Copenhagen Contemporary in Hall 3, all the way down the end of the corridor at the very end, where you'll see a red sign, a bit like a warning that says seizure. This is CC Audio. Encounters with selected works and artists showcased at Copenhagen Contemporary. I am showing two pieces of work the first called Faint with Light, and the other one is called The Needle and the Larynx. In front of you is a 12-meter screen. It divides the room, inviting you to view it both from its front and from its back. Sound of heavy breathing emerges, and waves of ultra-bright lights start to rise and fall, monitored by the sound. The sound is the audio recording of Mariana inducing a cycle of fainting attacks on herself by hyperventilating. She does this four times in a row. This is faint with light. I made faint with light in 2016. It was originally a piece of work I made in response to my late Croatian Jewish grandfather, who, according to my mum's retelling of, of his story, because he didn't talk much himself, he fainted during the Holocaust when he was supposed to be shot at in a firing line, and he survived his death by imitating the appearance of death and um, was later mistaken for the dead and put with dead bodies and escaped back to Croatia and lived to tell the story. I filmed myself several years before making this work, trying to make myself faint on purpose. And I intercut footage of me trying to faint with um, the narration of my mum telling the story about my grandfather. He later died of old age, but um, I still have this film which records um, my failed attempts, or near-failed attempts. I, I did it five times, I think, that, and I was only successful on the last time. I was pretty unimpressed at the image of me fainting, um, but when I listened to it, and I hadn't bothered recording any audio properly, so I listened to this very tinny, shit-quality sound on the audio track, and um, I heard this monstrous groan, this emission that I'd produced when unconscious. And I was so shocked, I just thought, who, who did that? What was that? And my friend said, that was you. I didn't know that my body was even capable of producing such a sound. It just haunted me because I thought about how much we do when we're not actually aware of it. And what is going on unconsciously? What's going on with our bodies when we're seemingly out of control? Which leads me, I suppose, to the title seizure, which is something that takes possession of the body and something that takes over our conscious minds or our cerebral thinking selves um, into something that's much more untame and raw and uneducated and unlearned and all of these things that we're trying to manage to keep at bay all the time but has the 
continuous potential to erupt at any given moment. And these are the kinds of areas and pockets of experience that I try to expose both for myself and for others. And so then I was offered a show at 17 Gallery in London. I knew that I had to make myself faint again. I knew, I just felt that this was an opportunity. And so I, I decided to do it a bit more professionally this time, as in pad the floor out and not hit my head on the concrete. Um, I, I decided to hire a professional medic and took my friend and producer, Emily Rudge, to um, a studio, it was Factory Studios in London, and they lent me their largest recording studio. And then we set about doing it, we mic'd all the room up, um, the sound engineer was there, and we put a contact mic on my neck and tried to predict all the different levels that I would fall. I didn't rehearse it, I just knew how far you had to go this time, which I didn't know before. And so I just began, I hyperventilated for about a minute and a half when I felt my body alter, fingers and toes go cold and I start to feel like metal and my tongue tastes strange. I'm on my haunches, closing up my air passage. And then when I'm ready, I stand up and I give myself an induced head rush and I strain my glottis, breathing out without letting any air out so you purse your lips and you strain. And then that creates pressure in your brain and forces the blood to go down your body and the natural body's reflexes to collapse. And that's the moment that that sound is produced. <laughs> I don't recall making that sound whatsoever. That is when something switches off in the mind, when the body takes over. The only way it's able to be recorded is through equipment and technology, which is an interesting interplay where your memory doesn't serve, you don't have a memory of it, so you have to attach yourself to an instrument in order to be heard. Then I'm out cold for about I, I suppose three to four seconds, not very long. Huh? And then I wake up and my breathing's incredibly rapid and panicked, shocked, I suppose, and confused. And I instructed the medic not to move, not to rustle, not to even breathe for fear of ruining the audio recording. He just looked at me in the eye and I had to give him a signal with my eyes that I was okay until my breath slowly returned to a steady rhythm and back to silence. And then I did it again. <laughs> and then again, and then again. <laughs> I haven't edited the audio recording at all, except for cutting out a short gap in which my blood pressure was taken each time. And it was decreasing by quite a long way, to the point where by the fourth time I had a seizure and I was instructed not to do it again. The first time I did it, I felt 
like I didn't want to be in this world when I returned because I'd had such a wild time over there. <laughs> it was great. It was really great. It was so euphoric. It wasn't upsetting at all. I wanted to get on it straight away. They just forced me to sit down and have a sip of water or tea. I can't really remember. It got more and more upsetting. I suppose it's like the first time you do drugs or something, the first time is the best. You, you know, I, it's not that I hadn't done it before. I knew what to expect, but I was just such a pro at it. I'd really done it. I really hyperventilated and gone to the extreme that I needed to to get past that barrier and successfully unconscious. <laughs> it's like I was just happy that I'd done it and sad at the banality that I'd re-entered. <laughs> I knew that the sound wasn't going to be the only part of the piece, although it was going to be the focus. Um, I knew that it was an anti-image that I was creating. I knew that I was making something that was stripping me bare of any kind of beautification or glamorization of my act. And I knew that the audio on its own wouldn't serve my intentions. And in a way, you conjure images anyway when you hear sounds. It's not like there's nothing neutral about just playing a soundtrack. So I wanted to actually ex um, create something that was very blinding and visceral and effective for the viewer that would be akin to a monitoring system, something that would describe more vividly my experience and add a secondary experience on top of that for the viewer, which would be potentially uncomfortable, distressing, maybe gentle also. I mean, I wouldn't say it's actually as um, uncomfortable as it sounds. And so I decided to convert the volume of my audio track into light so that when I'm at the loudest and that millisecond where I become unconscious and I lose my re recall that's also the brightest so you have a an inversion of my experience my blackout is your whiteout i didn't want to film the image of me fainting because the more I looked at the history of fainting, the more I discovered its quite depressing history in relation to the construction of hysteria and its association with passivity and um, femininity. Um, I was really interested in the documentation of, of Charcot demonstrating hy hypnosis via symptoms such as fainting fits or nervousness, or sexual desire, or masturbation. And these were all symptoms, like ailments, that women were supposed to have had that proved they had hysteria. In particular, I was studying an image of a woman fainting in a hall of men gawking at her in the hospital Salpatriere, and often fainting in a very elegant, graceful manner, 
usually in response to a man that they desire who's just walked into the room and they suddenly become overwhelmed with emotion and they sink to the floor like a flower. And I just wanted to destroy or dispel this image that was problematic for me and show something that deliberately took away that image from you and left with you a much more guttural or a sound of the interior of this event. With my work, I'm often using my body as a material, as a medium, just as a painter might use a palette or a colour. I'm thinking of my body in the same vein with the caveat that I'm protecting myself from the ultimate limit, which is death. Um, but I am using and testing and stretching and manipulating my body in conjunction with the material of light, sound, film, more ephemera medium. Um, but what I emphasise is the materiality of our bodies, actually, that, that, that we are made of something, that I'm not digitally manipulating, I'm not photoshopping, and I'm not um, creating an avatar. I'm situating myself, I'm playing a character, and I'm playing a role drawing your attention to the here and now of the material of my flesh. And I think that that's really crucial to do that in this sort of heightened, technologized environment where anyone can be anything, but it's a reminder of potentially what is at stake and the fragility of ourselves in the process. Faint with Light is exhibited together with another piece of work by Mariana called The Needle and the Larynx. When I made Faint with Light, I knew that there were two risks and one would be having a fit and potentially swallowing my tongue and the other would be brain damage. That was pretty scary. The thought of brain damage was worse than death. But once you set your sight on doing something, I think you just override it. You have to stop thinking about those things and just get on with it. <laughs> Um, the needle and the larynx, I was less... It was a different experience. With with Faint With Light, I'm fully in control of my own body. There's absolutely no other human touching me in that room. And that's interesting in relation to the needle and the larynx, where I'm, I, I just have to sit there and trust that he's doing a good job. Um, and that's often how we feel, I think, in front of surgeons or people who operate on our bodies and we we become vulnerable and open to them. So fear is, um, fear is a driver, not an inhibitor, I'd say, for me. I think that my natural disposition is to be upside down. I think I'm maybe a bat in a former life because even as a kid, I remember hanging upside down for hours on end, just waiting for someone to believe me that I was stuck and, and no one would. So I would just remain there for several hours, deeply uncomfortable, but unwilling to move. And I think that is quite characteristic of um, something in me that has this total persistence and unswerving, dogged attitude to something. I 
I believed that I could make objects move if I looked at them long enough. I put full faith into these um, quite magical, transcendental experiences, and I still do. So a lot of my work might look extreme, but it's just me carrying an idea through to its logical end. You've been listening to CC Audio, created and produced by Copenhagen Contemporary in collaboration with me, Estel Hell. A very big thanks to Mariana Simnet. Music in this episode was made by Jared C. Ballock and Chris Silver T. Thank you for listening. <laughs>